you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Good morning, church. Good morning, and it's good to be in the house of God. And uh, I must say that last night was wonderful. And those who missed it, you missed it. It was such a wonderful time we had here, and and uh, certainly we are going to repeat that um, in the month of October. Is is that a good statement? November. Okay. What's wrong with October? <laughs> yeah, we are going to have it uh, in, in November, and, and I, would, I would really encourage you to come because it's a great time for us to come together and to, and to have a time of worship and to, and to spend some time in praying. We have been on a journey through the Gospel of John, and uh, you believe it or not, passed over 16 months. We started in the month of February in 2022, so we have been on a, on a long journey. But this morning, we are taking a pit stop for refueling from the series and to review a very pertinent topic that is relevant to the study. So I'll encourage you to turn in your Bibles to, the, to one of Pauline's epistles written to the saints in Ephesus. So turn with me to chapter number four, please. And let me just give you a context. Ephesians is different compared to all the other epistles that Paul wrote. This is called a circular letter. It's a circular letter. It was sent to the churches in Asia Minor. Uh, and it would have gone to Smyrna, Pegamus, and uh, Thyatira, Sardis, Ephesus. You remember the names from the Revelation, the book of Revelation. And you know what? It is not written to address any particular problem, the book of Ephesians. It was actually written to explain some of the great themes and doctrines of Christianity pertaining to the Christian's position in Christ as a member of the body of Christ, which is the church. That is why this was written. So in fact, you can take the book of Ephesians and you can insert the name Seekers Christian Fellowship or KBC, Kenmuir Baptist Church, and it applies to us. In the first three chapters, Paul wrote, uh, Paul wrote to set forth the nature of the universal church, the body of Christ, and his eternal purposes. And in the last three chapters, he encourages the members of the church to proper conduct. Proper conduct. And it was toward each other, to the world, to God, and to the members of your own family. And at the very end, in the last chapter, we all know this, and he wants the members of the church to be prepared for the spiritual conflict that you will have, Because when you put these Christian principles into practice, the devil is not going to be happy. He's going to attack you. And he's giving you some some techniques and ways and means of overcoming that attack. So once in a while, uh, it would be great to reflect on this episode to remind us and also to evaluate our individual roles as a believer, but also as a body of Christ, as a church. What is our role? Church, I'm sure that when you feel sick, you go to the doctor. 
And when you go to the doctor, what does he do? He will check your vital signs. That's what they do the first thing. Probably they'll take your temperature, they'll take your pressure, they might take your heart rate, and, and for me, they'll definitely send me to go and take the A1C, whatever that means. And then you go through all these blood works and everything, and more than the blood works, they'll do some vital signs check on your body. And when they have done that, they are going to compare your vital signs with the standard to determine just how sick you really are. That's what the doctors do. So in the progress of the growth of the church, it's good to have an intentional pit stops to do spiritual checkup to see how we are doing as the body of Christ. So this morning we are going to examine a few vital signs that Paul has listed for a healthy church to see how we are doing as a church and to see that if there is any areas that we need to improve and how do we become the invisible church that the Lord is pleased with. That's our objective. You know, I must tell you my greatest fear when I first started the Seekers Christian Fellowship was that the training I had in my profession may influence the way I would spearhead the church. So I knew the tangible measures by which we evaluate the business. For example, we look at the gross margin or our sales or, the, or, or our revenues and, and, and our leads and our customers and the word of mouth and the list can go on. And, and, and we used to have biweekly meetings with the department heads to go through this checklist on a business. But I know that these are not the measures by which the health of a church is evaluated. There's got to be ways and means of monitoring the health of the church. So we align with the biblical principles of the New Testament church and to see how we are doing. Church is not a business entity. Sadly, many people view church as a business entity. The same way that you're operating a business that we can operate the church. It doesn't work that way. So the business practices will not work. The secular management principles are misfit to the church. So this is the house of God. It's a house of God. This is governed by biblical principles of God, a place where the purposes of God is fulfilled. And that is why I chose godly men to be accountable and to monitor the progressive spiritual growth of our church. And even though when we first started, our doctrine was very much in line with that of the Baptists, we made a formal association to create the accountability. That is why we affiliated ourselves with the fellowship of the Evangelical Baptist Churches of Canada. I'm sure you would agree, church, that we all want our church to be a healthy church. How many of you would agree? Put your hands up. Yes. You want to go to a church which is a healthy church. We want the members to be authentic believers. We don't want people to just to fill in the pews. We ought to be a visible, we, we ought not to be the visible church for the sake of numbers. But we must be the invisible church where the Lord sees every person as true believer. Every one of you as true believers. 
So that topic alone can take us a long series. So today we'll only be looking at a few vital signs, as I said earlier, to see if we are healthy and what steps, if any, that we should take to become a healthy church. So just come along with me as we look at chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians. Paul begins chapter 4 by speaking or spelling out how the church is an organic spiritual unity founded on several unifying factors. He talks about it must be one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father. That's how he starts chapter 4. And then he goes on in verses 7 to 16, how the various members of the body have different gifts. And as we exercise these gifts under the headship of Jesus Christ, the one body grows in maturity and strength. So we pick up from verse number 11 now. Just look at the screen, please. And let me go through this very carefully. And he himself, who the Lord Jesus Christ, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And why did he do that? There are two purposes that we can see here that is intertwined in this. Firstly, for the equipping of the saints. Who are they? That's you. Every believer in the church. To equip, equipping of the saints. And what are the members called to do now? For the work of the ministry. So every one of you is equipped for the work of the ministry. And let's keep reading that. And secondly, for the edifying of the body of Christ. For the edifying of the body of Christ. And the end goal is, look at this, till we all come to unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. And how do we measure the growth? Look at that. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So in other words, we should mimic Christ. In simple terms, do you mimic Christ? Do I mimic Christ? The answer is no. The answer is no. So what Paul is saying here is that those with leadership gifts are to equip the saints for the work of the service so that the body will grow in unity, maturity, and Christ-likeness. Can this be said about our church today? Can this be said about you, about me? It's an important question to ask, church. Can it be said that we are, uni we are a united front? Can it be said that we are mature believers? Can it be said that we mimic Christ always? If someone from outside should walk into this sanctuary, would they find the unity amongst us? Or would they eavesdrop on some gossip that we gloat over? Or would they see the maturity in the way that we treat others? Would they see Christ in the way we love others? Church, I'm not saying this because I see these things in the church. I'm saying this because for us to be careful so that we don't fall into the trap of the evil one. This is how the evil one takes us away. Is a question worth asking periodically. Now let's go into the text that we are going to examine this morning. It's been read already, so I'm not going to read again. 
In, in here, Paul talks about the vital signs or the marks of a healthy, united body. So this morning, we're focusing on three verses, verses 14 to 16. In our text, Paul gives three vital signs. And let me make this clear to everyone. It is not a comprehensive list. Let's be clear on that. I don't want you guys to think these, is, these are the only three vital signs of a, of a healthy church. There are other signs that Paul does not mention here. For example, the worship we had last night. It's not mentioned about evangelism or missions, and the list can go on. But at least three key points that we can look at here. So let's look at verse number 14 here, that we should no longer be children. And Paul starts by saying that. That means there is a link between the, verse, the, the verses that were previous to that, to this verse here. That, another translation, as a result of. So there's a local uh, logical connection. If you look at verses 11 to 13, which I just read, we saw that it is as the pastor teaches in the body, we equip the saints for the work of service through the word of God that the body grows to maturity in Christ. We see that in verse number 13. I just wanted to understand the context clearly. It says, till we all come to unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the mature of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That a mature church grows into doctrinal unity. Into doctrinal unity. Can, can we all say the word doctrinal unity, please? Doctrinal unity. And on the core essential of the faith. We may not agree on every doctrine, trust me. But we are talking about the core essentials of the faith. We need to agree. So we grow into a deeper knowledge of the Son of God through our deepening knowledge of the Word of God, which reveals Christ to us. So as a result of the pastor teachers equipping the saints with the Word, the church will not be tossed around every wave and wind of doctrine, but rather will grow up into Christ the head. So church, where do you think the Satan's focus would be? Where do you think the Satan's focus would be? Yes. It is to prevent the church from gaining a deeper knowledge of the Son of God. Then he succeeded. If the devil can only prevent that from us growing in the Word of God, he has succeeded. He has succeeded. So, by doing so, the devil deters the church from his growth in unity, in maturity, and in, in Christ-likeness. So the devil's primary attack on the church is creating confusion in the doctrine. That's his primary objective. If only the devil can bring about heresy and, uh, in the teaching and preaching, the devil has captured audience. He has achieved his goal. So the first vital sign that we are seeing here for a healthy church, Paul's talking about is the doctrinal discernment. Doctrinal discernment. Sadly, in most churches, this would be at the bottom of their list. And you know, as you know, I go on my mission trip to, to Sri Lanka, and, and sadly, I see so many mushroom churches, plenty of them, Plenty. And in 
most of them, I can't say all of them, you don't find their priority on, or, to, or to have doctrinal discernment. There are many so-called Christians who are not into doctrine and not interested in learning or growing. They are unschooled. Maybe they are not taught from the pulpit. Even if they are taught, the worldview overpowers and they are trapped in their minds. You may ask, why do you say that, Pastor? Because we have been infected with the cultural virus of post Modernism, of post-modernism, which holds that there is no such thing as absolute truth. Have you heard that? There is no such thing as absolute truth in the spiritual realm. And, or even if there is, we cannot know it. That's what the post-modernism is all about. That's what we hear on the streets. That's what you hear in the radios, on the televisions. What does the world teach us today? If it feels good, just do it. Thank God for Nike. Just do it if it feels good. So if anyone claims to know the truth, what do the world think? They are arrogant. They are insensitive. To the views of others. So postmodernism makes truth subjective. Subjective. So that what is true for one may not be true for another. Why is the world going down in the downward spiral? Because of this. What's true for one is not true for the other. It makes tolerance and acceptance of any and all views becomes supreme virtue. I'm sure you can see where we are heading from here. The only view that postmodernism cannot tolerate is that of someone who claims to have exclusive truth. You know, with the, as you go into the world religion, as you talk about people, most religions or religious people have no problems in calling Jesus a God. They don't have a problem calling Jesus as a God. Identifying with God is not the problem to many, but the identity of God is the problem. Sadly, this kind of thinking spreads through some major so-called evangelical churches today. And pastors are very sensitive and they are very careful when they use the word. They, don't, they try not to use the word Jesus when they are speaking. They use the word God. Because it's safe to use the word God as opposed to being very specific about the identity of our God. So definitely, this is the problem with Christian faith. You may ask, why am I saying that? Look at the mission of God. This is, in fact, when Jesus spoke with Pilate at his trial, he said this, for this have been born, this, uh, 
beg your pardon for this i have been born and for this i have come into the world to testify the truth and everyone who is of the truth hears my voice and then he goes on to say i am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me i am the way the truth so jesus mission is to testifying the truth that is jesus has stated mission the devils determine mission is undermining the truth as it is in jesus so satan uses every possible means to undermine the truth the best way for satan to in satan to do that is to infiltrate into the church is through the leaders and teachers is through those don't look at only the pastors this applies to every one of you who are in the leadership if only can take captive satan can take captive the leaders he has succeeded in his determined mission so this is the first thing paul is warning about you know in every pauline epistles you see this warning look at this look at the screen here please in the church in corinth he says he warned of false apostles who are disguised as angels of light and servants of righteousness and if you look at church in galatia this is what he says he says uh, that if men distorted the gospel of christ they are to be cursed and look at the church in colosse he says this he warned of those who were trying to take them captive through the philosophy and empty deception the church in thessalonica this is what he says he warned that the thessalonians that in the end time there will be major apostasy meaning slipping away from the true faith that will deceive many and finally church there is a warning given to the ephesians elders look at this one for i know this that after my departure savage wolves that's how he describes will come in among you not sparing the flock look at verse number 30 follow along carefully also from among yourselves men will rise up what does it mean from within men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples the local members after themselves and we see this in other new testament books the dangers of false teachers what a frightening warning this is church we cannot chase after every heretic who may infiltrate the church but one thing we can do we can create doctrinal discernment amongst the members of the church so that when they hear the heretical teaching at once they will know it's heresy this is why the library is important this is why you know in the us i have said this many times how do they identify a false currency there are so many false currencies that can be in circulation so they were trained to master the true currency you touch it you feel it you smell it and the moment you see a false currency you know it is false we cannot go after every false teachers and pull their names and pull their so called doctrines and come and refute it here that doesn't work that way because there's nobody can do that the thing that we can do is to speak 
the truth speak the truth let's look at verse 14 again he says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro carried about with every wind of doctrine paul says we are no longer children but we need to grow in maturity let me be clear here church we ought to be like children with a simple trust in christ it's important we ought to be like children craving for the milk of word that's very important for us to be like children but the, but the, but in the sense that paul is using it here we should not remain children but rather grow to strong maturity that we are not tossed around by the waves and winds of false doctrine you know very interesting i learned this principles through my grandson you know i see that he is growing slowly but surely i love teasing him from the day he was born i i i i i could toss him around with words as he was learning to pronounce so i really teased him but i realized that as he come to the age 4 i cannot tease him anymore because he has grown in knowledge he used to say lelo now i still say lelo to him he'll correct me grandpa it's not lelo it's yellow he used to say aminals i still say aminals to him grandpa it's not aminals it's animals and he used to say this is the best part he used to say mittens five mittens he that he can't say minutes he'll say five mittens i'll see you grandpa now he said it's not mittens it's minutes grandpa and finally he told me he got so tired of me he said you don't know anything grandpa you have to come to the daycare and you have to study because he has grown and he knows what's right you know what it could be i know it's very funny story but it's a real story in my my life it's a sad story but at the same time this is exactly what paul is saying exactly what paul is saying that we need to grow up that is when you will know the truth as my grandson grew he knew it's it's animals and not aminals and is yellow and not lelo and is minute is minutes and not mittens we should not be gullible like the little children being tossed to and fro and carried away about every kind of doctrine so paul also says look at this passages the false teachers use trickery what does that word means that means the cube it's a cube you know in those days they know how to cheat the cube cheat the dice when they played the dice a loaded dice is what it means here what they do is that uh, that one uh, they, they tamper with the dice so that it will land with a specific side facing upwards always is more or less often than a fair die would so paul might have seen this in his travel so he's using the terms here and also he goes saying craftiness of deceitful plotting that's what he talks about these savage wolves might do craftiness is used to used to satan deceiving eve is the same thing is craftiness deceitful plotting indicates there's a deliberate plan the word plotting originally had the idea of of tracking someone as the wild animals tracks the its prey if you go and look at i love to see these the wild animals on the televisions and i love to see these animal kingdom and sometimes you see these these lions very slowly going after the prey have you seen that yes that is what he's talking about here 
That's exactly what Paul is talking about here. This is exactly how the cults work, going after unsuspecting, untaught young believers claiming to explain to them the Bible. They go with the Bible. We can easily be enticed emotionally, especially when we are vulnerable. Out of desperation, we trust every counsel because we want to be redeemed. And that's when the tricksters come to play. So you ask, Pastor, okay, enough said about the doctrinal discernment. Now, how do we identify these false teachers? How do we know they are false teachers? Let me take a very quick moment. I read a beautiful article from Tim Chalice, and he gives us a character list of these false teachers who are carrying out their deceptive, destructive work in the church today. This may help us to identify and run from them. Church, this is a warning not only to the pastors, but also to the ministry leaders. All of you, the Sunday school teachers, youth teachers, young adults teachers, and women's and men's teachers, is applicable to all those who are teaching. If you are imparting knowledge, it applies to you. Those in ministry leadership, I would encourage you to examine this character to see if you see yourself in any one of these characters. And ask the question, why am I serving? What is the ulterior motive here? To others, look out for these false teachers and run away at a gallop. The first one he talks about is the heretics. And what these are people who teach us what blatantly contradicts an essential teaching of Christian faith. They reframe the doctrine of Trinity. They deny the virgin birth. They deny resurrection of Christ. They are like the Jehovah Witnesses or like the Mormons. Are you one of them? The secondly, the second thing that we ha he talks about is a charlatan. Now, this is a person who uses Christianity as a means of personal enrichment. And, and Tim Chalice says they're only interested in the Christian faith to the extent that can fulfill his wallet. After money. They use their leadership position to benefit from the other's wealth. They peddles the prosperity gospel. Are you one of them? Thirdly, he's saying the prophet... And you know who that is. They claims to be gifted by God and speak fresh revelation outside of scriptures. And that is how the Joseph Smith claimed that he received the book of Mormon from an angel called Moroni. And how many of you have seen this book, Jesus Calling, by Sarah Young? Now that book, now she has said that, she, it, she says it contains some very words of Jesus. Are you one of them? Then the fourth one he's talking about is the abuser. The abuser uses the position of leadership to take advantage of other people, usually feed his sexual lust, uh, though he may also desire power. Claims he is tending souls, but his interest is ravishing bodies. Are you one of them? Then the fifth one he's talking about is the divider. He uses false doctrine to disrupt and destroy a church. He brings strife and not love and generates factions and not unity. Desires discord, not harmony. It's all fiery. It's like a brimstone every moment. He undermines the ordained leadership. Are you one of them? And he talk about the next one is the tickler. He's a man pleaser. He's a trickler. He's a man pleaser. 
He craves popularity and praise. He preaches only the parts of the Bible they seem acceptable. Are you one of them? And the last one, he says, sorry, it's called the speculator. He obsessed with novelty and originality and speculation. He grows weary of the old truths. He wants to follow what popular churches do. So we want to copy what the other church is doing. Trust me, I'm the last one to do that. If it isn't right for me, I will never let anything to happen within these four walls. Are you one of them? Is that how you measure your church? And Tim Challey says, Satan's greatest ambassadors are not pimps and politicians or power brokers, but pastors. But pastors, ministry leaders. That's why Jesus warned, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. So in order to be victorious, we need to do something. Grow from childhood to maturity so that we don't get in by the spiritual hucksters. What does it mean? It means not only reading, but studying the Bible. Do not dodge the difficult doctrine sections. This will help you mature in Christ. Take advantage of the classes that we have here. I know that young adults had a systematic theology. It's a wonderful study systematic theology and there are many materials that we have in the library we have the book on the systematic theology by Wayne Grudem you can borrow it you have answers to all the questions that you have that you want to ask you know we I, this book is freely available not freely available it's costly but if you want it I will give it to you most of you I've given already it's a daily reading great book to have drawing near by John MacArthur this will help you. And we use this book, The Fundamentals of the Faith. Every believer should have this book. It's only $15. If you can't afford, I'll give you one. But please have it. Please have it as a supplementary reading because this gives you answers to all the questions that you have. Once you have identified the truth, you can easily spot the false teachers. That leads me to the second vital sign. And we are looking at, he speaks, he says in that, in that verse, you speak truth with love. That's what he says, isn't it? In order for us to comprehend this subject, we need to understand what truth does. Look at verse 12, Hebrews chapter 4. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Have you ever heard that truth hurts? Have you heard the term truth hurts? Truth is like a two-edged sword. That's what the Bible says. So when you speak truth, what's going to happen to the recipient? It's going to hurt him. Is going to hurt him. That's why the scripture says, speak truth with love. So how do you speak truth with love? The example is Jesus Christ. He's a perfect balance between truth and grace. 
Jesus countered those who opposed the truth with harsh reproofs, but he gave words of comfort and grace for those who came to him in repentance, no matter what their sins were. We see many biblical examples when he, his encounter with the Pharisees or with the woman at the well or Zacchaeus or woman caught in adultery and the list goes on. He never condoned but confronted with love because he came to seek and save that which was lost. He came to set the captive free. He died while we were still sinners. We are to mimic Jesus. This is the hard part, church. What I'm going to tell you now. Pay close attention, please. We can't ignore the truth and call it grace and call it love. And we can't ignore love and call it truth. They go hand in hand. The truth is God will judge sin. The grace is God saves us from sin. The truth is God will judge sin. And the grace is God saves us from sin. They go hand in hand. We can and should love unrepented sinners and those who refuse to acknowledge their sin. We should want what is best for them and we should do good to them. We should tell them the truth about, their, about sin along with the message of God's grace in Christ. Sin can be forgiven and hearts can be renewed. There's no point of going to somebody and you are a sinner, you're going to hell if you cannot give him a solution for that. And it's important that to approach every situation with the spirit of humility and forgiveness. Paul, you know, we see this in Pauline epistles to Timothy. As a servant of the Lord, must not quarrel but be gentle to all, able to teach patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so they may know the truth. That is speaking truth in love. As we instruct others, let us do so gently with kindness to everyone. So first we must earn the right to speak. Church, let me repeat that. It's a very important statement here. If, if we don't have the right to speak, say nothing. Say nothing. The recipient must know that he is loved and he is not judged when you speak the truth with love. If you speak the truth without love, you'll be perceived as the righteous judge who is seated on the judgment seat. And you are judging me. You are telling me I am wrong. But when you speak the truth with love, you stand shoulder to shoulder to, to with that person and you'll be perceived as the savior who have come to redeem and to restore him. What earthly good it is to go and see a person who is caught in sin and say you are a sinner. Every person who is sinning knows that they are a sinner. What they are doing is wrong. It's important that we go there and tell them while you are a sinner there is a way that you can come out of it. There is hope. As I always said, when you go and confront somebody, it is like punching them on their chest. If they don't see their left arm hugging them and holding them, not letting them fall, they will never listen to you. You are a judge. You are judging them. 
Biblical love is a commitment to seek the highest good of the one loved. We should be patient, kind, and sensitive in how we talk with others. We should show compassion to those who are lost and alienated from God. In all things, our heart's motive is to win those people. Can we say the word win? That's what we are called to do. Not to cast them out. Love does not take selfish advantage of others, but they rather sacrifice herself for the good of others. Love is to be the very atmosphere that permeates the church as we grow in Christ. That is why SEF Loga is reaching out with love. Reaching out with love. Because we are all sinners, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. If someone is not doing what he is expected to do as a believer, there can be many reasons, church. And we don't know about it. But as pastor, I would know the intimate details of another person. But you may not. So careful before you judge them. Be very careful before we judge them because it could be a sickness, it could be work, it could be a family feud, it could be financial struggles, it could be relational issues that they do not want to expose to others. Or it could be they are deep in sin. If you have true love relationship with them, you already have the answer. Let's say I'm very close to Keith. And I'm seeing that there are some behaviors that are not appropriate. But I'm so close to him, I know the struggles he's going through. If I'm not close to him, if I see only the struggles he's going through and go and tell him, don't do this, Keith, I'm judging him. But when I see the struggles he's going through, I'm going to say, I'm going to put my arm around him. Son, I see that you are doing these things. This is not pleasing to the Lord. He will listen to me because he knows that I love him. I'm not an outsider speaking to him. Truth spoken in love will touch the heart. But that will be restored. Even when someone is missing on a Sunday or reach out to them. Reach out to them, please. Tell them that you miss them. Ask them if you could pray for them. See if you can meet whatever their needs are. Let them know that they are loved. They have, then you have earned the right to speak the truth. They will certainly give heed to your counsel. But on the other hand, if you tease them when they show up late, or if, if you impose guilt on them, they would feel they are judged. And they will certainly withdraw. There are many reasons why they are not present. They may all be valid. But if you see a repeated pattern, it's an indication of their relationship with the Lord. Certainly, I agree with you. But you should bring it to the pastors and the elders first. I'm observing there is a, there's a different behavior in Keith. What do you think, Pastor? Seek godly counsel before you talk to that individual. Please do not guilt trip people. Do not entertain or engage in conversation that bears no glory to God. We may think that we are speaking the truth in love, but 
in reality, we are gossiping. It does not bring glory to God. Socrates, from a worldly perspective, he said this. He thought that a person must ask themselves the following questions before they say anything. It's very, very helpful. Am I sure that what I'm going to say is true? First question. Second question. Is what I'm going to say a good thing? Third question. Do I really need to say it, and is it useful? A great checklist before we share. That leads me to the very last point. Verse number 16. A healthy body has every member contributing to the growth of the whole. Let me read this to you. From whom whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for edifying of itself in love. In verse 16, Paul emphasizes that each of us has been given a gracious spiritual gift to use in service to one another. The church is not a one-man ministry. It's never a one-man ministry. Every part has something vital to contribute and has a function to perform. When all the parts are working in accordance with their specific function, the body grows in love. There are two quick applications we see. The first one is that they are joined and knit together. Implies that we must be close to one another in order to grow. We cannot have a kumbaya group and stick to that group. We must be close to one another. When Paul used the same term, is a term that was used in, in chapter 2, it refers to as the stones in the temple being joined together. You know, when you bring the stones to bring together, join together, they chip off the rough edges. Have you seen that? To join together. For us to be fitted and joined together, God has to chip off our rough edges and teach us to show forbearance to love one another. So there are thoughts and words and actions that needs to be chopped off that we can be joined and knit together. That's what Paul is asking us to do here. We may, may we ask the Lord to chip each one of us of anything that may be hindering in our reaching out to others with love. That's the first thing that I see in this passage. The second point I see here is Paul is emphasizing on every joint supplying and each individual part working properly. Church, it shows that every Christian must be a functioning, serving member of the body. If your body has non-working parts, you are somewhat incapacitated. Church, if you are not involved in a ministry, you are somewhat incapacitated. Please know this phrase. The harvest is plenty. The workers are few. Speak to the pastors. Everyone can be involved. My mother, at the age of 80, 85, she asked me a question. I always tell her, Mom, you have to serve the Lord. She asked me, Son, how do I serve the Lord? I can't even walk. She was half into dementia. I said, Mom, you are a prayer warrior. I have seen my mom. She was a prayer warrior. I said, Mom, there are so many who need prayers. Pick up the phone, which is by your bedside. Call someone. Can I pray with you? And she did. So many were blessed. At a funeral, one of my, one of my classmates, 
He came and he told me, I'll never forget. Your mom called me at this feeble age and she said, son, can I pray with you? You can serve the Lord. Whether you're young or God or old, God saved you to serve him in some capacity. So there are a few questions. With this, I'll close. Number one, are you growing in doctrinal discernment so that you are not tossed around by all the modern waves and winds of doctrine? Please, borrow this. I'll get you one. Take this. I'll give it to you as my gift to you if you're going to use it. Second question I want to ask is that are you practicing confessing, proclaiming the truth of the gospel in the love of Christ? Are you speaking the truth in love? Third question I want to ask, are you growing towards Christ-likeness in all areas of life as you submit to his lordship? Do you mimic Christ? There are many, there was a time when people used to wear a, what is it called, the one that they wear around? Something. Something wrong. Bracelet, something like that. WWJD. Have you seen that? What would Jesus do? If, you do, if you're not doing what Jesus is doing, keep it off. Don't wear it. It's a shame. But we have to ask this question. Number four, are you serving so as to contribute to the growth of the whole body in love? Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for Apostle Paul and through whom you have spoken to us and revealed to us the three vital signs. And as we examine these about doctrinal discernment and speaking the truth in love and serving you, Father, there are areas that we need to improve. And we pray in Jesus' name that each one of us will start by being good students of the scriptures so that we'll have a good doctrinal discernment. We'll be diligent about studying the word of God. And then help us, O God, we'll be very sensitive in the way that we minister to others. We'll speak with love. That no matter when we do and how we do it, the others will see that love in us. And may your love flow through us, O God. And I pray that each one of us will mimic Christ in our behavior. And we also pray that we will serve you. That is what you have called us to do. So by serving, this church will grow. And we'll become a beacon in this Mississauga at the junction of this common drive and South Millway, South Service Road. And the community will know us and will see us because we are mimicking Christ. We ask all these in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.